Before we see today's scripture being enacted before us, I'll tell you a story of something that happened to me quite a few years ago. <clears throat> I had a friend who was a longtime member of this church who shall go unnamed. He's now deceased. Um, but he had a foolproof scheme to beat the odds at the dog track. Foolproof. Did I say fool? Anyway, <clears throat> he said, if you and a couple other guys, if you'll just each give me $100, <clears throat> and I'll put in 100 and we'll go to the dog track, and we can't lose. We're, we have to make money on this. I'd never been to a dog track. He explained it to me. It didn't make much sense. I said, okay, we'll try it. Gave him $100, went to the dog track, go to the ticket window, and the rest is history. How about you? Do you like to gamble? Don't have to raise your hand. Do you like to take risks? Are you a daredevil? Would you have given $100 to a friend who gave you that proposition? How about $10,000? Would you have given him 10000 to, to gamble? How about would you risk your child's education fund? Or how about your career? Would you gamble on your career? Or how about your health? Or your marriage? Would you go for it on fourth down if you knew all of that was at stake? If you're like me, when the stakes go up, I get more conservative. It's one thing to go all in when the pot is small and you know you have the winning hand. It's another thing to go for it all when the chips are piled high and the odds aren't in your favor. And you know, as I was thinking about this and the different ways we have, we face these kind of choices in life, I think the more attached I am to something or someone, the more important they are, the more I want to keep it safe and secure and avoid risk. You too? So Jesus is telling some stories that are collected at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. They're stories about the coming reign of God. People are waiting for it, and Jesus is trying to explain how to live while waiting. And he talks about the urgency of God's reign that is coming, the nearness of it, the responsibility of human living, the agency of human beings, human freedom in our response to this impending transformation. And in this time, he tells the story what we call the parable of the talents. So, we'll tell it now. Let us listen for God's word. A business owner was going away for a long time. So, she called three of her managers to her office and told them to manage her wealth while she was gone.
Here's $20 million. Manage it for me. Here's $8 million. Manage it for me. Yes, ma'am. You asked for me? Here's $4 million. Manage it for me. Are you sure? Yes. But I'm scared. But I'll do the best that I can. So the business owner packed her bags and went away on a trip. Excuse me, sorry. She had to go through security at the airport. <laughs> but eventually she went away and she stayed away. She stayed away a long time. A long time. Finally. The business owner returned, and when she came back, she called her three managers to her office to see how they did with what she had entrusted to them. Well done, good and faithful manager. Stay up there. Up there. Yeah. You gave me $8 million. I invested in Reese's Pieces stocks, and I have $16 million to turn back to you. Well done, good and faithful manager. gave me four million dollars and I know what a demanding person you are so I made sure that I did not lose any of that money so I put it all in a safety deposit box FDIC insured and here is your four million dollars back what you assume I'm a demanding person and expect good results I didn't even gain any interest on this money uh, you are a wicked and lazy manager. You are fired. I'm entrusting this money to my faithful managers. All right, let's have a hand for our actors. <laughs> so notice a couple of things about the story. Um, first of all, generally speaking, any time in the Bible that you have a story about um, a master or an owner or a king who goes away on a journey and then comes back to see how things are going, you're, you're, all, you're talking about a story about human stewardship. You're talking about responsibility, about our management of gifts, our fidelity in our active lifestyle. These are stories of testing 
these people, these three managers, are being tested. The second thing that we notice in the story is the talents. This is the parable of the talents. Talents, not an aptitude, not a capability, not a knack for doing something well. It's money. It's a coin. It's a lot of money. In our day and time, in our economy, it would be roughly $4 million, one talent. Five talents, $20 million. So for an owner to give that much money to to people, you could hardly call them slaves or even servants. Really, they're, they're financial managers, they're investment fund managers. They're deeply trusted. This owner is a person who has great confidence in these three people and thinks highly of them, or she would never give them that kind of wealth to manage. She's extravagant. Maybe some would call her reckless or crazy, but she does it because she believes in them. The the managers, the three managers, they would all be overwhelmed by the amount of wealth entrusted to them. Even this third manager. They were all trusted to act in the name of and on behalf of the owner while the owner was gone. How do we hear this familiar story? Normally we hear it as the first two managers are good people and the third manager is the bad guy. And we might even feel sorry for him because he only got one measly talent until we realize it's $4 million. So the first hearers of the story, Jesus' audience, would not have felt sorry for that third manager. In fact, the first hearers might have wondered how could those first two managers have doubled their money? Maybe they're a little bit unscrupulous. Maybe they're a little bit ruthless. After all, the third manager did the prudent thing. Didn't play fast and loose with the owner's money. He was dependable and honest. He did the right thing. And after all, think about it. What would a slave or a servant in the story, or Jesus' audience, the peasants that heard him, what would they know about managing $4 million? They wouldn't know where to start. They'd probably lose it, get it stolen, take some bad advice. Better to keep it safe and secure in the ground, which was where they hid their money. They didn't have banks. And so it seems in a way that the owner's condemnation of that third steward is rather unmerciful, harsh. The the first hearers of the story probably would have been sympathetic to this third guy. And the owner might have been seen as the stereotypical absentee landlord who is rapacious and greedy. All he wants is more and more money. The first two managers, though, let's listen to how they 
acted and look at what they did. They, they're not given any instructions on what to do, and yet they immediately go to work. They immediately feel free to risk, to invest. They must not have only felt freedom to uh, succeed. They must have felt the freedom to fail. And so even though the owner was gone for a long time, they didn't lose heart. They didn't start to think of this money as their own. Ah, that owner, I don't think she's ever coming back. I'm going to start using some of this for my, my project. And they didn't do that. They kept putting the money to work in some way. We don't know how. And it would seem that sometime in their service with this owner, that they had come to have a deep confidence in the owner's generosity and fairness, kindness, and faithfulness. That's how they looked at this person they worked for. And with that deep trust in the owner, they could live boldly. They could take risks The first two managers felt freedom and empowerment. The third felt captive to fear. Concerned with protecting himself, the third manager gets the peevish tyrant master he believes in. There's nothing in this story that would tell us that the master really is that way, the owner. But that is how he was viewed. And so the third manager's fear and and concern for self-preservation reveals a lack of love and trust. And so he loses out. He loses out. Does that ending trouble you? Does it seem unfair? I mean, after all, he was playing it safe. He was honest. I wonder how playing it safe can lead to a lethargy of faithfulness, maybe even missing out on the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about that? I only raise the question because we know Jesus isn't just talking about money. He's talking about how we live, how we experience a new life in God's realm how we engage in God's faithfulness with deep trust in the generosity of the one who made us that funds bold wagers of time and money and love. When we live out of confidence in God that God is trustworthy and generous and more benevolent beyond our imagination, we're like the first two servants who discover what it means to live freely and abundantly, willing to fail and learn and keep trying. And if we live like that one talent manager, immobilized by the darkness of fear, terrified we may never have enough, then we'll discover that even what little we have, we may lose that our life will be atrophied and our faith withered. Our trustworthy, faithful, 
abundant, generous God is calling us to live in a bold way that acts as counter-testimony to the survivalist, anxious, it's never enough, peevish, tyrant kind of world. Do you get that? I was thinking about how maybe we are being called to risk. I know some of you among us are our trustees. You manage our endowment. And so there's always the question, where do we put that money? How do we invest it? How much of it do we use? For what can it be used? Should a church even have an endowment? Should it all be risked? Well, that sounds crazy. So where, is, where does risk meet prudence? Recently, we've had some conversations about campus security. Makes sense. Between the school and the church, both are talking about this. And I was thinking about it on a very personal level. When my grandson is over there in that nursery, I want that building to be safe. I don't want to take chances. I want that place to be rock solid. And yet, at some point, I know I'll not always be able to protect him. I know that this campus cannot become a fortress with 40-foot high walls. So what do you do? How do you balance the risk and the security? Here's another example. We've recently decided to get involved in some home repair work up on the north side with Velma Aitkins, a woman whose house was flooded with four feet of water from the Rebalt River for two weeks. And she was in the storm, and she had to get out in the middle of the night, and her house is now sitting there. She's still living in it. She has no money to fix it. And so we're going to invest some of our time, and I would say money, in helping her, along with some people from Virginia that are coming down. Now, I don't know if this is ever going to pay off for us. I don't know if this woman will ever say thank you to Riverside. I don't know if she'll, her life will change or if it needs to change. I don't know what kind of payoff we'll have. Maybe none. I don't know. It's a risk. Why are we doing it? I can only say because we can. Because we have so much. Because these are our neighbors, even though we would never have met them if we hadn't gone out of our way. Because we know that God is taking joy when we do things like this. I don't know, maybe it's a crazy risk. A crazy endeavor. I do know this, that when we get afraid of risking, when we are tempted to shrink back, we need to remind each other of who is telling the parable. He's the biggest risk taker of all. Jesus certainly could have played it safe, bearing his mission in a hole in the ground, could have looked out only for himself, could have stayed in the background, but he didn't. 
He stepped out and he risked his life for us, for the sake of the world. Jesus, our brother, was not in life for survival or self-preservation. He was in it for the reign of God, to live into the fullness of God's new age until the time was ripe for all of us to share in it together. So how do you live? As though God is standing over you, ready to slap your hand if you make a mistake or misinvest? Or as though God is beckoning you forward, much as Bob and Sarah will with Olivia when she is learning to walk? Come on, Olivia, one more step. You can do it. I saw something on Facebook recently. It said, It's impossible, said pride. It's risky, said experience. It's pointless, said reason. Give it a try, said the heart. And so I think the greatest risk of all, as it turns out in this story, is to not risk anything. Not to care deeply or profoundly enough about anything to invest deeply, to give your heart away, and in the process, risk being hurt. The greatest risk of all is to play it safe, to live cautiously, always guided only by prudence and security. In other words, the greatest risk of all is to be ruled by fear, When we as Christians are ruled by fear, the world loses out and love is diminished and the light of the world is dimmed. How is God calling you to invest? What perceptions of God are you living by? If you live by a perception of God as a giver of space and gift, your ability to take risks for the sake of God's new ways, your ability to love will be ever so much easier. Thanks be to God. Amen.